When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Premier League weekend review show. And what... What a weekend it has been. Manchester City's first defeat of 2022 has reopened the Premier League title race as Liverpool in second begin to smell blood. Pep Guardiola continued his bogey team record against Spurs as a Harry Kane-inspired Tottenham won 3-2 away at the Etihad. That defeat gave Liverpool the chance to react and Jurgen Klopp's side fought back to win 3-1 at home to Norwich. That means the gap at the top is down to six points at the end of the weekend. But Liverpool have that all-important game in hand where they can close it to three. But the weekend excitement wasn't just restricted to the top of the pile as there's been some major changes down the bottom in the last 24 hours. Burnley's first win since October means they dragged themselves off the bottom of the table and Mr Nice Guy himself, Roy Hodgson, has clinched a first win as Watford boss and if all of that top and bottom action is not enough for you we also have this small matter of Manchester United fighting through the rain to win away at Leeds and Arsenal keeping them keeping them all the way staying right on course for a top four place alongside or potentially instead of Manchester United. So plenty to get through and no time to waste. My name's Fergal and joining me tonight we have someone who I think it's fair to say saw their glass emptied and then filled back up overflowing this weekend. City's defeat did open the door for Liverpool but United responded at Elland Road. Jay Motti from the Stretford Paddock podcast. Jay, half full, half empty, overflowing, you must be drowning. Listen, exactly. I'm just focusing on Manchester United this weekend and Manchester United have given me a lot of joy over the last last few hours and I don't often say that when I come on this podcast, do I? No, indeed. And alongside Jay from the Masterclass podcast, we also have United fan Rob Blanchett. Glass half full, glass half empty. How are you feeling this weekend, Rob? Um, Glass has been in the dishwasher and it's felt better (laughs) on, on other days. But of course... When you uh, you go to Leeds United and you get a victory at Ellen Road, I think you've got to say your glass is completely 100% full. Yeah, full of rain, um, to, uh, to put it mildly. Absolutely lashing it down at Ellen Road as United picked up three massive points. Because there's been so much action this weekend and so many big results at the top and the bottom of the table, United have actually been nudged on into part three of the show. But we will be giving the guys a chance to get stuck into that performance at Elland Road a little bit later on. So we're going to start with the title race or the so-called reopened title race. Jay, Manchester City 2, Tottenham 3. This could, and I'm saying could, be massive because people are going to be getting the calculators out they're going to be getting the calendars out and looking and working out how the title race is going to go for the next couple of months so just to recap as it stands Manchester City 
are still top of the table. 63 points from 26 games. Liverpool, 25 played and 57. They play Leeds in midweek to make themselves up to 26. If they win that, three points between them. It's always going to happen. City were always going to drop a couple of points, draw or lose a game that maybe they weren't expected to. And Liverpool would react. That is exactly what's happened. Has the picture actually changed? Man City are still out in front. They're still defending champions. They've still been so impressive this season. Does this cause a seismic change or is there still too far to go? I wouldn't say it's a seismic change, but it obviously matters. You know, they've got to play each other, these two teams as well. But you'd rather be in City's position. You're above them. You've got the points on the board. You know, the game in hand is all well and good, but at the moment it is just a game in hand. And and I think that the game that they've got to play each other is at the Etihad. So, you know, City would fancy the chance against them. Let's not forget it wasn't that long ago where Liverpool went to the Etihad. I think they were, what, was it seven points clear? And City did what they needed to do and got the win then. So, and plus we've, with Guardiola, with all the experience he's got of winning titles and stuff, I know Klopp's won one, but Guardiola, you know, you'd think you'd be better in a better position if you were a City fan than if you are a Liverpool fan. But there's, for me, there is a, a title race there. I think when you look at it and you think that Liverpool are absolutely flying, they have got to play each other, they've got, you know, they potentially can sort of close the gap to three points. So it's not done and dusted by any stretch of the imagination, but, I, you know, for obvious reasons, I'd feel more comfortable with a City fan. It's just been made a little bit more interesting by the game against Spurs, a game that I think the vast majority of people expected Manchester City to win, and rightly so. I know Spurs beat them earlier on the season. I think it's the first game of the season, but you think that City would be too strong for Spurs. A Spurs team as well, that going into that game, had been struggling. I think, was it three successive defeats? Yeah. Conte sounding like he was a little bit unhappy with his, his situation. So... I certainly didn't expect Spurs to put in the performance, not just the result, but the performance they did. I know they had to weather the storm a little bit, but I thought they were very, very good indeed going forward, especially attacking. And they did what they needed to do. They battled, they kept going, they had a couple of goals disallowed, they didn't let their heads drop, and they they, they got over the line. And yeah, it's just made it a little bit more interesting. I mean, from a United fan point of view, it's not like we've got two great choices there. (laughs) It's not like we're in it. It's, you know, it's, it's, I think as Gary Neville said, it's asking you which person you'd want to cheat on your wife with or you want to cheat with your wife. But yeah, there's there's a a bit of a more of a title race on now than there was going into this weekend anyway. Rob, what's your take on this? Because obviously the narrative is going to be the title race is back open. Liverpool have got a chance. Can they hold them back? That game at the Etihad in April is going to be a title decider if the positions are still the same as they are. Manchester City haven't lost in the Premier League since Halloween when they lost to Crystal Palace. This run they've been on is absolutely phenomenal. The only points that they've even dropped prior to yesterday was that draw against Southampton. So has this changed anything significantly for you looking at City in terms of how good they've been and the fact that they're obviously still pushing for the Champions League, they're still in the FA Cup. Is there a change or is this just a case of if City stay steady, stay the course they'll they'll get over the line and defend the title or do you think the tide is pushing a bit more for Liverpool? Well, I think there's a slight change just in the sense that, you know, Liverpool doing the chasing, being slightly behind, obviously with game in hand, obviously with everything that's happened this year with COVID and cancelled matches, that it's a kind of shaky championship. But I think with Manchester City, you do know with them that they can go on a run of 10 or 12 games with winning that whole kind of a program straight 10 games 12 games like they did last year and that's the end of the title race just there but I do think Liverpool have got the quality to do it we know that we've seen how uh, they've played in recent seasons obviously when they've won the championship themselves and they're up for it I think the European campaign now coming back up and restarting that could be a real telling point for both clubs because there will be rotation so we've seen that even with Liverpool we saw in their last match that they win this game but they did rotate their defence they did rotate players that's something they haven't done in previous seasons so it's all open it's all there to play for but it's really going to come down to the wire I think these two teams they're well matched um, and they're both probably champions elect in their own minds anyway Looking at the big storylines from yesterday, Jay, Harry Kane finds himself front front row and centre. Uh, two goals and then another one disallowed for offside. The goal at the end where he nipped in front of Kyle Walker just sent the Spurs fans absolutely wild, wins the game and all the back pages are full of pictures of Harry Kane. And we know the story from the summer that he was linked with a move to Manchester City. Guardiola's essentially come out and said that they had three, maybe even four bids rejected for him. He didn't go. He stayed at Spurs. He's been nowhere near 
the Harry Kane that we've known over the last few seasons. Prior to yesterday, just one Premier League goal in 2022. But he pops up yesterday with a Harry Kane 2020-21 performance where we know that's what he can do. Do you think maybe there was a bit of a point being proven to to a lot of people to remind Guardiola just how good he is in case Guardiola goes back for him in the summer to remind the Spurs fans of how important he is because he has dipped he has maybe his star has dropped a little bit this season based on his performances and his goal return but when he turns in a performance like that he shows City not what they're missing because I think that's quite unfair on the other players that have stepped up at Manchester City this season Mares, Sterling Phil Foden have all chipped in with really good goal numbers but ultimately when a player plays like that at the Etihad and he's not wearing a light blue shirt there is always going to be that question of oh but what if he had a different colour shirt on yeah I don't know whether he had a point to prove I don't know if Harry Kane has that many points to prove I get what you're saying about certain criticisms or what have you I just feel like it felt for me a lot like City and this isn't disparaging or you know discrediting him for his performance but City almost played into his hands a little bit there was so much space that they were giving him at times and so much space for the likes of Son and Kulazewski to run into and Harry Kane is quite good at dropping deep and playing those balls and you know they were the likes of Son and Kulazewski were getting onto them he was obviously you know being being given chances as well that he, he took. I know Edison made a good save on one of them. So maybe there was a little bit of an edge to his game because of the occasion. But I also felt that the the, the, the way the game panned out almost from the off suited him. There was the mm. space there that he needed. And we know what Harry Kane's capable of. You give him opportunities, if you give him space, he's going to punish you. And City did that. And I think maybe it wasn't a case of him being extra determined or having a little bit more to show or a little bit more, a little bit more of a spring in his step because it was at the Etihad, because it was against Guardiola or whatever. I think maybe there was a slight bit of, of City not showing enough respect to Harry Kane, not realising just how dangerous he was and giving him a little bit too much time on the ball or certainly a little bit too much space because for me, it was quite strange to see someone like Harry Kane getting that much sort of that many opportunities in terms of his possession and when he could play those balls and the way that they were able to rip City's defence open at times. I'm not used to seeing Manchester City like that. And it started off almost from the, you know, from the, the, the kick-off like that. And it never quite changed. There were still those gaps. I know City were chasing the game for a part as well. But yeah, that was the most surprising thing for me as well. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with Harry Kane. And, and you know, in the summer, he's obviously, you know, he, like you said, was linked with Manchester City. It looked like I thought that was going to happen just personally. I thought that's a deal that's going to be made. It wasn't. Are they going to go in for him again? Are they going to go for Haaland instead? Is someone else going to come in for Harry Kane? Is he going to commit to Spurs? There's going to be the Harry, games, Harry Kane even soap opera again this summer. And, you know, it'll be interesting what happens. But one thing's for certain, Harry Kane is a, he's just a top quality player. Isn't he? And if, if anything, yesterday, just he just showed us what we already know, really, that Harry Kane is, is mint. Looking at Spurs' performance, and Rob, it's easy to look at this with Manchester United, at Manchester City, sorry, as, as the dominant theme because they're the defending champions. The context of the title race is at the Etihad, but Spurs were the winners. And coming into this, as, as Jay said, three games they've lost on the bounce, worst run under Conte. But with Guardiola in charge of City, Spurs have had a really good record of sticking a leg out and making things difficult. Every season since Guardiola's been at Manchester City, they've lost to Spurs at least once. Whether that's home, whether that's away, they've lost in the Champions League, obviously, to them in that in that famous semi-final. They've always caused problems for them. They lost on the opening day. Every Spurs manager, whilst Guardiola has been at City, has won at least one game against him. Mourinho, um, Nuno Santo, Pochettino, obviously going all the way back. And now um, we have the situation with Antonio Conte getting himself a win. So there was always going to be a bit of a side narrative. I know City have been excellent so far this season, but they do have this ability to, to get these results. And this is something that maybe mentally was playing on Guardiola's mind. The first game that he ever lost as Manchester City boss was two Spurs. Um, they're now the fourth team to do the double over City in a Premier League season. Chelsea did it in 16-17 and Wolves and United did it in 19-20. So there is maybe a little bit of a mental thing there. How do Spurs build on this? Three defeats in a row coming into this game. They're in eighth in the Premier League table. They're probably out of the top four race as it stands. How does Conte ensure that this is the motivation for a really good end to the season? 
I think it's really difficult for Spurs to build on this from this point. I think the victory itself, no no offence to Tottenham, I think this was more about Manchester City and as Jay was just saying there, leaving the space for, for Kane and for Son uh, to be able to exploit, I think that's why we saw this result. Uh, I think for, for Spurs, the setup there is is let's say fractured I think that's the correct word and I think that Conte has been talking about this a lot over the last two or three weeks whereas he's got a squad that's decent he's kind of played up some of them and said yes you know these players are good however I'm short because I've lost this player I've lost that player and that was how the, the, the recent transfer window went so I think for Spurs it's more about consolidation this year I think you're right I think top four is is beyond them but if they can obviously grab a European place then they'll have something extra to fight for next year but I think also with Conte you know, he, he doesn't particularly stay at places where he doesn't see that immediate success, where he doesn't feel that he can take the team on to, to win a title the following year. So it's a big summer for Tottenham. And it's just about now whether whether you can keep Harry Kane at the football club. Because I actually do think that this performance and these goals do coincide with that narrative that he was going to go to Manchester City. And he's just reminding a few people of what he can actually do. Right, we're going to switch over to, to Liverpool, Jay, and we're going to throw it across to you. 3-1 at home to Norwich. It wasn't all plain sailing, 1-0 down with half an hour to go, but that front three, Salah, Mane, and whoever is up there with them, whether it's the new guy, Luis Diaz, whether it's Diogo Jota, Roberto Firmino, they do generally find a way to squeeze themselves back into it and get the result that they need. And, and that was that was exactly the case yesterday. Klopp uh, got a lot of praise in midweek for the Inter Milan game, his changes mid-game that tipped the balance. He made changes to his start in 11 against Norwich five players swapped in from uh, from the starting team against Inter and then he made changes in the second half bringing on Thiago to look to kind of turn the screw and make things really difficult for Norwich and again momentum at this time of the season you guys are United fans you know this from years gone by that momentum in February in March generally decides how the title race goes if they win that game in hand against Leeds in midweek the gap goes down to three points and we're 12 games from home for City and for Liverpool how do Liverpool approach the next couple of weeks and months? Because <clears throat> as it stands, they're still fighting on four fronts. They've got the EFL Cup final against Chelsea next weekend. Then they've got Norwich again in the FA Cup, plus the Champions League still rolling on. Klopp has to get this right. He's getting a lot of praise for the changes that he's made and resting people at the right time. But everything needs to be perfect if they want to overhaul City. No, you're right. I think it does. And I think you've, you've, you've sort of touched on everything I want to say, really. It's a lot of it is going to be about how he manages his squad. They have got all these competitions. You know, is, is he going to rest players for the... I know it sounds crazy because it's cup final, but for the EFL Cup, is he going to, you know, rest them for... for Europe or whatever how's he going to how's he going to manage that I mean it's difficult and it's arresting for Europe when you're in the knockout stages or whatever um, so it, it is going to be about that balance and management of the squad but they have got options you know the kid Diaz has come in and obviously you know he's got his first Premier League goal he looks like he's slotted straight in unfortunately from a United point of view just looking at that um, they've also got other options you mentioned there Thiago came on and I won't say change the game, but he has a big influence on it. And they obviously get the goals after he comes on as well. So it's, it's, it's about managing your squad. It's about sort of knowing when you can get away with using certain players and when you can't. And I think now they have got options. I always felt last time Liverpool won the league, I'm not saying they're going to win it this season, but when they won the league, they, they were so reliant on that front three, weren't they? And Virgil van Dijk as well. And it seemed like there was... It certainly felt like it was almost the start, same starting eleven most weeks. I don't know if it was or not, but that's how it felt. Now they have got other players that can come in. You know, he can rest maybe Thiago or Thiago comes in or Kate starts or Oxley Chamberlain or you know, is it Diaz or is it does Firmino come in or is it Jota? They've got these options. He's just got to do it in the right way. I do feel like they are reliant on one or two players. I feel like Mo Salah, for example, he got a bit prickly, didn't he, when he was asked about Mo Salah before the game Klopp. And it, it was it was it felt like it was a pretty innocuous question about is there a bit a bit of a buzz around the place or whatever I'm paraphrasing when Mo Salah's around and you could see he got annoyed at that and I was a bit surprised I didn't think it was an offensive question in any stretch of the imagination but the likes of Salah and, and Van Dijk I do feel those two are key to any success Liverpool will have but they've got options and it's just about I keep repeating myself but it does feel like you manage your squad in the right way you've got a fighting chance of of, of winning 
at least one of those trophies if I don't know about all four of them but you know I just hope they don't do you know don't do too many if they do his treble like we did a proper treble I'll be fuming <laughs> looking at Liverpool and what they have to do Rob between now and the end of the season perfect is, is probably the right word they they know what they have to do they know that they can't rely on City to drop that many points they knew they probably needed one or two to go their way that's happened this weekend with, with City losing to Tottenham but ultimately Liverpool know that they can't really step out of line it might even come down to them having to possibly sacrifice one of the cups if they haven't got enough squad depth to cover all competitions but Guardiola sorry Klopp has shown in the last couple of games that he is getting these decisions absolutely right and it, and it helps when you can bring on the likes of Thiago off the bench Spanish international fantastic player Champions League winner with Bayern Munich and you've already got the starting players like Salah and Mane who despite the fact they've just been away at AFCON have come back and if anything they look like their batteries have been recharged rather than looking tired so Klopp does have to strike a balance but based on the evidence at hand he is getting all these calls right at the right time Absolutely and I think as well when you look at the the Norwich match you know the biggest thing I think that jumped out for everyone was that he rested his fullbacks that's something that in years gone by that just hasn't happened for Liverpool you know they have been in and out of the side whether it be for injury or issues of one thing or another but here he was starting again with with you know two of his players who are probably his most productive players in terms of assists so I think as well when you you look at the balance that, that Klopp has now got his squad's just that little bit deeper you know it's deeper than when they won the championship and when they won the Champions League and that's just going to give him that extra bit of gas I think towards the end of the season um, I do think that to win this Premier League title they have to be perfect all the way from here now and that means winning every game you know even draws are not going to do the job here because I do think even in Manchester City even if they do slip a little bit they won't slip too far and if they do leave the door ajar open for Liverpool Liverpool really do need to burst through it to win this title yeah I think it's too early to be talking about how it's going to go down so I'm not going to ask either of either of you for a prediction but my take on this is I really do think that Liverpool are going to run them all the way and I think it comes down to those attacking options again just looking at the numbers the fine margins the whole Harry Kane thing again I don't think City have massively struggled by not having a, a quote nine this season because they've got so many goals spread right the way through the team and Sterling and Mares are both double figures but I look at Liverpool Salah just knocked in his 25th Liverpool goal this season at Anfield yesterday he's obviously in double figures Diogo Jota is in double figures Sadio Mane is in double figures and in the sum and in January they brought in Luis Diaz they've not brought in a squad player or a cover at right back or a cover at left back they've brought in someone that either improves them or gives them something extra and City didn't do that I know they brought in Julian Alvarez but obviously he's coming in in the summer whereas Liverpool have brought someone in that strengthened what for me is already the best front three in the Premier League and if we're looking for advantages I think that tips it for Liverpool but Rob as you say they've got to be perfect there's there's probably no room for error but I do think it's going to go all the way between now and May right we're going to wrap it up there for part one and from the top to the bottom in part two we're going to the relegation battle some massive results Burnley getting their first win of 2022 they're off the bottom Roy Hodgson celebrating his first three points as Watford boss but Bad news for Frank Lampard and Everton as they just cannot shake off the relegation zone. 2-0 defeat away at Southampton yesterday. We're going to be talking about all of those games in just a second. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Just a quick reminder, if you're a fan of the podcast, you know what to do by now. If you hit subscribe up the top there, you can get access to a brand new episode every single day. As the title race, the battle for Europe, the relegation scrap enters the last few weeks and months of the season here at FSD, we are with you every single day with a daily Premier League podcast. And you can get that podcast wherever you get your podcast from, Apple Podcasts, Podcast, Castbox, Spotify, the whole nine yards, we are there. Right, we're going to talk relegation now, Jay, from the title race to the race to stay in the Premier League. And a big result on the South Coast yesterday for Burnley. First win of 2022, first win since Halloween. Ironically, the last time Man City lost in the Premier League, if you're looking for a little bit of a pattern. And this was absolutely massive. 3-0 win away from home, miles away, big long journey all the way down to Brighton. And things have not been good at Burnley for a while there's a lot of frustration speculation over whether Dyche's methods have run their course and whether this is the season that Burnley are eventually going to get relegated and they proved everyone wrong about Beghorst gets his first Premier League goal Aaron Lennon who's obviously been around for years pops up with a, a brilliant goal that he didn't think he was able to score anymore and they absolutely deserve this they deserve the three goals they deserve the three points and Sean Dyche said something really interesting in his post-match where he said He's not getting involved in the maths of the Premier League table and concentrating on what other teams are doing. He's simply saying to the players, this is what we've done, this is what we need to do, that's it. Just concentrate on what is in front of you. And They do have these games in hand, they're off the bottom of the table now, and I've been saying this for weeks, that Burnley are better equipped than the other teams down there to dig themselves out of it. And even though they were bottom and cut adrift, the person and the team that will decide the relegation battle for me is Burnley and it is Sean Dyche. Um, we've spoken a lot about um, you know Burnley and the Sean Dyche factor and is that going to play into the relegation battle? Is that going to get them over the line? Is that going to be the difference between you know them staying up and, and going down? Is the fact they've got Sean Dyche who has all that experience and he's obviously a very he's obviously a very um, talented manager. And I was sort of saying, I think last time I was on when they had like one win all season and the game, you know, they're almost not running out of games, but you get to that point where you're going, you know, you need to start kicking on sooner rather than later. Otherwise, you're going to leave yourselves too much to do. And and that was a big win. That was a massive win over Brighton. It was also, that was the type of win, if you looked at those teams, you looked at that result, you wouldn't have thought that Burnley were second bottom in the league or whatever. That wasn't a type of game where you go or bottom or whatever when the start of the game where you go, okay, this is a team that's really struggling. It was, you know, it was a, it's a comfortable win. They get they take the lead after 20 minutes and then, you know, the 2 0 up at half time. And then, as you said, Aaron Lennon with a great goal. It's great to see him playing, not just playing, but playing well as well after everything he's been through. I think that's a real sort of positive story. And they look comfortable and, you know, a comfortable win away at a, a team that are doing very well this season. Now, I know that. Um, Brighton, obviously, they, they, they lost um, the lad, was it um, Dan Byrne, they sold to Newcastle. Yeah. They also lost, um, was it Dunk, I think, was he suspended? He was, Dunk was suspended, his, Adam Webster was injured. For his red, yeah, from his red card at, at, at United and Adam Webster's out. So they, they lose players and Brighton, you know, they are a tight-knit squad where they lose sort of three players, they're going to feel it. So there is, you know, mitigating circumstances, but let's not take any way, anything away from Burnley. That's a sort of game performance and result where you can go, as a, you know, Dice can go to his players, look what you're capable of, look what you can do. You've every reason to be positive and the fans as well can can have that belief. So yeah, I think that's it's a, such a big result for them there. They've got a couple of games in hand, I think, on on, on Watford and, and, and also on, on Norwich as well. You mentioned it earlier, you know, all the games in hand they've got. If they, they can win just one of those games in hand, that's going to be a massive boost for them. And yeah, it's, it's looking far more positive after that game than it was before it because before it, you're thinking, when and it, when and is the, the Sean Dice factor going to kick in and when it does is it going to be too late but it feels like it is now and, and I know that's only their second win of the season but it's a big one Timing at the top of the table is, is massive in a title run, Rob, but it's also massive down the bottom when you're looking to get out of relegation. You don't want to go too early, or as Jay said, you don't want to leave it to March or the end of March and go, right, we'll kick in now and win four games from seven or five games from eight or something like that because sometimes you're too far gone and you can't rally the players to do that. Sean Dyche does have to time this right to make sure they don't run out of gas and that they don't overexert themselves. I, I do think there is maybe an argument that his methods haven't evolved enough 
to continue for another two or three seasons. But there's still a huge amount of merit in what he has there. And, and I'm not being condescending or, or disingenuous because I do actually think there is a lot of merit in what he does. People don't like it. People don't necessarily want to watch it if they're watching it as a neutral. But it is a valuable thing to keep Burnley in the Premier League. It's a huge achievement that he has managed season on season. And that squad hasn't changed massively. Corne's come in and improved them. Beghorst got a goal yesterday and he looks like he's going to be a real asset for them. But you look through that team and you know that in the last 10, 15 games of the season, it's full of players that will pull for Dyche. They'll pull for the Burnley fans. And as Jay said, two games in hand, they win one of them, they'll go above Watford. They win both of them and they could potentially go ahead of Newcastle and Everton and then suck them down and push themselves out of it. Is Dyche getting this right? Is this the time for them to burst? Because if they don't, they might get caught behind. Well, I think I've said in previous shows that Burnley's season doesn't start till Christmas. So obviously we're the, we're the correct side of Christmas now. And what happens? Burnley suddenly start winning football matches. So, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of, Burns, I kind of agree with what you're saying there about Dyche and, and how he's kept Burnley where, he, where they are. I, I do think long term, Burnley want more. You know, I think as a club that's been in the Premier League a while now, that they want to be more solidified, you know, either around mid-table or above and, you know, push forward you know being more of a progressive football club but you can't take it away from Sean Dyche he knows what he's doing in these situations and I do believe him when he says he does he's not looking at the table you know it's very easy I think for Premier League clubs and managers to look at their position and maybe feel that fear and that anxiety I don't believe he feels that at all because he knows that if Burnley go and do what Burnley do they go and get clean sheets like they have done in previous years they win games 1-0 and they're gritty horrible affairs Burnley will stay up you know when you look at the division now it's literally I think it's 10 points now between 11th and bottom it's nothing you know literally the whole of the bottom half of the table are in a relegation scrap and Burnley are perfectly placed to get out of it you know they they will have the know-how of to push on and to be able to survive where there's going to be a club in there two three or four clubs that are going to get sucked into that relegation race and on the final day of the season will be very very interesting and it's also as you say Robin you look at this idea of these draws these results that they get nobody has lost more games sorry nobody has lost less games than them in the bottom half and they've only lost one more game than West Ham Wolves and Tottenham and, and those are three teams that are pushing for Europe so perceptions can be can be important on this and looking at perceptions I want to talk about Watford Jade because first win under Roy Hodgson lots of positivity around him Emmanuel Dennis getting a goal he's been so important for them this season and despite the fact that they've got this big long run similar to Burnley without a win the last win was against United back in November Solskjaer's last game in in charge there doesn't seem to be that around Watford that there is around Burnley we look at Burnley and think right Dyche has got the keys in the ignition now and Burnley are going to push on from here despite the fact that they've got a win despite the fact that Dennis has got himself a goal when it looked like maybe he was petering out and there was even questions about Roy Hodgson was he still able to cut it at the Premier League level this maybe it's just me but this just doesn't seem to have the same effect this seems like they got a result away from home that was a bit of a surprise and will probably just be a nice memory for them next season when they're in the championship yeah possibly I mean we'll have to see how both of these teams react and build on those those games like you say you know Watford have gone such a long time between those two wins it's, it's hard to take a positive but Burnley have only got two wins from it from the so for this season so it depends on how you look in I think well you know the, the next game will be sort of very telling in terms of where those clubs are Watford I think they're at home to, to Palace is it um which you know Palace are, are sort of you know mid-table doing okay but it's not a game where you go that's that's one where it's um it's beyond the realms of possibility that um, that we get a result there. So, you know, you can look at that and go, OK, if you get a reaction there, if you get another win, this is it, it's game on. Burnley have got the, 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 the tougher one. They've got Spurs at home. Spurs are obviously just beating Manchester City. So the next games might be a bit more telling for us because you can look at it and go, OK, the, the Watford game sort of rolled the look a little bit, grinded out a result, did it, was it one of them? Or you can go, well, that was actually a fantastic result against the decent Villa side. It just depends on how they're reacting it, how they can build on it, because if you can go then and get a result uh, against Palace, then all of a sudden people are going, OK, there's a, there's a real fight left there in Watford. Mm. If you go revert back to form and just get 
comfortably beaten. You go, all right, like you just said then, the Villa game was a blip. And it's the same for Burnley as well. They've got to show something, you know, can they get a result against Burnley? Because you've always looked at, uh, against Spurs, sorry, because you've always looked at Burnley, you've had this thing about turf more, difficult ground to go to and all the rest of it. And that's not necessarily been the case this season. And I think if they can get a result against Spurs, it'll help them on both fronts. Um, looking at someone else that's down there, Rob, Southampton 2, Everton 0. Frank Lampard's start at Everton has been mixed, to say the least. Obviously opened up with the FA Cup win against Brentford. Then they went away and lost at uh, Newcastle. 3-0 win against Everton last weekend. But then back to type this weekend and losing on the road at Southampton. So it, it does seem to be one step forward, two steps back for Lampard and for Everton. And looking at the relegation picture, they're still in the shake-up for it. 23 games played, 22 points on the board. So they're four points above safety as it stands. They do have a game in hand on Watford, but they've played a game more than Burnley. And again, the Burnley game in hand factor does come into that if they stick a bit of a run together. And Everton are still in the mix for this because... There has been some positivity around Lampard's arrival and he has looked to improve certain aspects of what Everton are doing. But they're coming up against a Southampton team who have been good, particularly at home this season. And they've gone man for man. They've gone 4-4-2 against one of the very few teams that do play 4-4-2 in the Premier League in Southampton. The difference being Southampton have been playing this way under Harsen Hootle for some time, whereas Lampard has had this Everton team for a few weeks and he's trying to maybe run before he can walk when he's got a situation that he can't afford to make mistakes because if he does, they could go down. They could go down, you know, I said as well, I think when the last time I was on that, I think Everton are very much in a relegation scrap. So, you know, just to compare and contrast some of the things we've just been speaking about, Everton are 16th, Burnley are 19th. Everton have conceded 11 more goals than Burnley this season. So I think the trend shows that this team is in trouble. Uh, I think the other issue of, you know, I think Frank Lampard's a good coach. I think that I'm not surprised to see him back in the Premier League, but he showed at Chelsea he's not particularly a defensive coach and doesn't really get get many clean sheets so that's not a good mix for Everton and again when I said a minute ago I think the teams in the bottom half of the league all of them really will be looking over their shoulders now because those clubs in the bottom three you know Norwich Burnley and Watford there is a little bit of know-how there how to get out of it I know you just you mentioned Watford and Roy Hodgson you know it's a bit of a cheat code isn't it Watford and Roy Hodgson they know that together Roy Hodgson knows he can get them defending better and even if they win a few games 1-0 you're going to be out of that bottom three you really are whereas Everton might be trying to build something more progressive under Lampard but at the same time slipping further down the table so I think Everton might be the shock of the season I really do I think they might be one of the teams that that ends up being relegated and of course that would be a historic moment for a team that have been in the top flight for so many years it's an interesting picture that kind of we face with the relegation situation Jay and I just want to ask you we're going to talk about Newcastle in a bit more detail in part three and and their draw away at West Ham but they're still on the edge of the argument they've been a bit more consistent under Eddie Howe than, than Everton have been under Frank Lampard but what would be the biggest collapse because if Burnley do stick the burners on and get results together and Burnley gonna Burnley and get out of it and as Rob said Roy Hodgson with the massive amount of experience that he's got in fighting against relegation with Watford and maybe he can turn water to wine and and suck them out of it you've got Leeds who are back in the Premier League for the last two seasons after so long out of it with this huge history you've got Everton who got a massive amount of history former first division title winners and obviously have that record of never being relegated from the Premier League and then you have Newcastle, who obviously have been relegated from the Premier League, but are now the richest club this side of Jupiter. So what would be the biggest story if one of them were to go down? I mean, they're all big stories, aren't they, for the reasons that you've said. I think for me, Everton would be the biggest story just because, as Rob mentioned, the longevity they've had. The fact that they've not only have they been in the, the top flight for so many years, they've spent a lot of money over the last few years. When you look at the spending of Everton, it's hundreds of millions of pounds. They're up there with the like, you know, another behind the likes of Chelsea and United and City and Liverpool, but they're in that sort of bracket where they've spent so much money and they've wasted so much of it. They actually, you know, it's, it's even from a United point of view, it's startling. So if Everton were to go down, I think that's a massive shot. And I kind of agree, Rob, I think it's possible. You look at the numbers, don't lie. And, you know, have they had a big ma- manager bump since Lampard come in? No, they haven't. You know, they won that game against, was it Leeds? Sorry, uh, yeah. I think so. Uh, and then, you know, it's the, the, the back to losing again. So 
it's possible that Evan go down. And for me, that would be the big shock and the biggest story. I think the, the, the thing with Newcastle is once they got all that money and once they were able, able to spend it and bring in some players, you always felt like that was a bit of a wild card moment. It's like, OK, maybe Newcastle now, it's a, it's, we're looking at them slightly differently because they've been able to go on this little mini spending spree in January and bring in some, some quality as well. That's changed things for them. Everton, though, yeah, for me, that's the one where you go, wow, Everton going down after the money they spent, the time they've been in the Premier League, and also bringing in Frank, Frank Lampard after Rafa Benitez was sat as well. That would be the, the biggest story of all to see them sort of lose their top flight status. Rob, would you agree? Obviously, Bielsa at Leeds. I know they've obviously been back in the Premier League for two seasons, but they do have a huge amount of history connected to the Premier League, connected to the All First Division. Everton do have that record of never being relegated, and, and Newcastle's sudden bottomless cash reserves have obviously made them a bit of a target. Would you agree with, with Jay that Everton going down, given both the history and the amount of money they have spent, would be the big story? Or do you think it, it lies elsewhere? Completely. You know, don't forget that at the start of the season, Everton were a team that had aspirations to be a top four team if they could get there or a top six club. So, you know, it's been a, a disastrous season and we all know why. Um, and I think, you know, as I said, they're, they're one of these teams of, you know, who've spent money in the past. Uh, you know, you, you look back in history, you know, 1985, Everton were the best team in the world. And that's, now it sounds like that's not that that's a long time ago you know 1985 but Everton have always had that status of being one of the traditional big four going back over time so I think if they were relegated it would be you know one of the biggest stories for many years and I just think those clubs around them when you look at them we just said obviously Watford Burnley Norwich teams that are, know how to at least fight in those places Everton don't have that they do not have that character to be in there Newcastle spent that money you probably think that they will survive now and there are teams around Everton Leeds United Brentford um, you could even look up to say Crystal Palace and Villa and even Leicester City in 11th who could all be at threat of slipping into a relegation battle but I still definitely think that Everton are the team who are most likely to go there mainly because they just cannot defend yeah yeah I agree it's going to be tight at the top and it's going to be tight at the bottom between now and the end of the season it's going to be a cracking end of season running but not obviously if you get relegated but for everyone else watching on from the sidelines it is going to be a corker right we're going to grab another quick break after the break we're wrapping up the rest of the weekend's action some big games in the context of the top four Manchester United with a massive win away at Leeds but Arsenal keeping them honest 2-0 at home to Brentford to keep themselves in the Champions League race West Ham drawing against Newcastle and Chelsea winning away at Crystal Palace all that to come in just a second Football's Social Daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk OK round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello and welcome back to part three of the Football Social Daily Premier League weekend review show. We've talked about the top, we've talked about the bottom, and now we're going to talk about the bit in between. And I say the bit in between, but there's actually a huge amount still on the table in the Premier League season. The race for the Champions League, the race for the Europa League, and the race to just, just have a bit of a relax in March and April, and that you don't have to worry about getting relegated. So we're going to kick off with Leeds United against Manchester United. Rob, Jay, obviously as United fans, this is a Massive result for you. You're delighted to get three points away from home in the absolute rain-battered hellscape that was Elland Road today. So, Jay, I want to go to you first on this because it's easy to kind of get wrapped up in the bit of the narrative. The rain was lashing down. It's the rivals. Leeds and Man United hate each other, absolutely hate each other. There's been the stories of leaks and rifts and rows and Maguire coming out to say that he's he's cool with Ronaldo and they're not disagreeing over the armband. Maguire gets a goal in the rain. Fernandez turns in a performance probably that we haven't seen for, for a few weeks or maybe even months. 
and United keep themselves in the top four. We're going to talk about Arsenal in a minute and, and how they might put pressure on United. But this was needed. This was absolutely needed. With all the stuff that's going on off the pitch and the questions that have been asked of United on the pitch in 2022, this was massive. This was massive for the fans that had made the journey down in the absolute biblical rain to Elland Road, that they got a win and they turned in this kind of a performance. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, it was, and credit to all the United fans that went down there. It's not a nice ground to go to Ellen Road, I know from experience, especially in those conditions. Um, but yeah, they'll all be buzzing now because, like you say, it was needed and, and football, it puts you through the mill, doesn't it? Because at one point you're looking comfortable. United get the, like you said, the, the goal from Harry Maguire, the goal from Fernandez, looking comfortable. And keeps happening to United in the second half. We get under a bit of pressure and, and we concede. And when Leeds brought it back to two all, I think it was two goals in about 30 seconds or something. It was ridiculous. Some, you know, I couldn't believe how quickly those two goals came. I was just feeling so deflated, so angry. Like, I can't believe we've let this happen. And then I was actually beginning to think that Leeds might kick on and win it because like you say, you've got that crowd, you've got the, the, the tails are up and the, 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 the pitch was becoming such a, you know, such a swimming pool. It was just difficult to see which way the game was going to go because it was so difficult to play on. But then United get those two goals that we needed. And I have to hold my hands up when Pogba went off. I understand, I, I, I sort of got it because I think maybe there's an element of, you know, we need him from Madrid because I thought Pogba was probably our best player. And when he's going off of Fred, I'm like, okay, this isn't, this isn't improving us by any stretch. And then Fred pops up with a great goal. And then as well, Alanga, after all the, the sort of, what happened to him, I think he got a coin thrown in his head. He got, you know, he was getting grief. He gets the, the fourth. It was it just felt poetic, and that's why you love football. Because, like I said, at two all, I was ready to stop watching football. I'd had enough. It was just sickening. And then at four two against, like you said, much hated rivals, the real fierceness to the Leeds and Man United rivalry to get that four two win, another big win over Leeds, which is like our third, I think, in two seasons, which is just great. It just yeah, it gives you that that sense of this is why I love football. This is why I love being a United fan. And well, hopefully we can take this sort of buoyancy into the Madrid game because we've got another massive game on Wednesday. How do United do that, Rob? Because we look at the form in 2020, back end of January, go away to Brentford, 3-1, beat West Ham at home, who are obviously top four rivals. And then it's a defeat and two draws on the run, losing to Borough in the FA Cup, draw against Burnley, draw against Southampton, then come off that, beat Brighton in midweek and then win against Leeds today. How does Ralph Rangnick say, listen, let's be like we were at the end of January and the end of February in March. Forget about the in-betweeny bit. How does he do it? We talked about Conte right at the start of the show and how does he get Spurs to basically build on this and look around the dressing room and say, we've just beaten the defending champions in their own backyard. How does Rangnick say this essentially I know Leeds are not defending champions but they are arch rivals how does Rangnick say to the players you've just gone and given the fans exactly what they needed you've shut up all this off the field talk of rifts and arguments and you've gone to Ellen Road you've stuck in four goals and you've come away with three points and kept us in the top four how does he do that Atletico Madrid in midweek in the Champions League still to come how does he make sure that United stay the course now and secure a top four place well, I think it's complicated and the reason for that is when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was in charge of the club, most Man United fans would kind of stand on their high horses and say, well, we don't have tactics. And then, of course, when everything went wrong at the start of this season, that was labelled as the reason why Manchester United had slipped to where they had slipped. Uh, you look at Ralph Ranić, who is uh, you know, a tactician in his own right and has plenty of tactics up his sleeve. And yet we've also seen from United in recent matches that they still just cannot do it not consistently so I, I think today with this result you know it's a derby match you know this war of the roses Leeds versus Manchester United is a huge match and there's a lot of emotion steeped in there but I think what was what I felt good about at the final whistle was I kind of felt proud of the boys for the first time in a while you know they they were 2-0 up then obviously they gave away two horrible goals especially the second one where the balls rolled across and Luke Shaw hasn't woken up and hasn't covered on the back post and it did feel like Leeds win the ascendancy. And Manchester United rolled their sleeves up, got in the trenches and fought. And United need more of that. And this is the whole thing for Ranić. Ranić can provide the tactics. He can provide the strategy. But these boys have got to go out there and do it. And this has been the issue with the dysfunction in the Man United squad. We see it too often. Now, you know, this is a great result, 4-2 at Leeds United. But this is a Leeds United who are in 15th place and in a relegation fight, you know, with players out still uh, and, and issues with their own identity, with Patrick Bamford not being in the team. Um, but can you take this 
further on and say that, yep, yeah, now Ranić's got something to work with. I'm not so sure. I think the most important thing for Manchester United and United fans is that Paul Pogba and Jadon Sancho look world class. They both look like two players who are ready to do it in the second half of the season. And if Man United have got that and you can stitch it together with Bruno Fernandes and Ronaldo gets you a few goals and maybe Cavani chips in as well, maybe Rashford finds a little bit of form, then you might be able to end the season in the top four. And when you get to the last day of the season, it might not seem too bad of a season. Uh, moving on to a side that are hopefully, for me, going to challenge uh, United every step of the way. Arsenal 2, Brentford nil. Arsenal find themselves in a similar situation to uh, to Burnley. They're the Burnley of the top four race, if you will, because they've got so many games in hand. 23 games played compared to United on 26. West Ham in fifth also have 26. And then Chelsea in third on 25. So Arsenal have still got a fair bit in the pocket to come and they will hopefully, for me, look to put a bit of pressure on Man United. But the question for Arsenal between now and the end of the season is going to be about goals and do they have enough goals Emil Smith-Rowe, Bukayo Saka both amongst the goals yesterday they're the top two scorers in this Arsenal team both young men at the start of their career but showing a maturity and a talent that probably edges them up a couple of years and puts them into their mid-twenties but the numbers don't really lie Arsenal have only scored 36 goals so far this season United have 44 and Chelsea have 49 so they are lagging behind the big question is going to come back again that Aubameyang leaving regardless of whether Mikel Arteta was going to play him for the rest of the season or not, he does score goals to a relative level of guarantee. Alexandre Lacazette in the middle, Saka one side, Smith-Rowe one side, Martinelli to come in. Do Arsenal have enough goals in those young players to push United all the way? Uh, I mean, Be possibly... <laughs> Possibly. I mean, it's always a great unknown with young players because sometimes young players can get into sort of the March time, squeaky bum times, Fergie used to call it, and they can just, you know, it can catch up with them a little bit, just the, the, the sort of the toiling of a season, and they can they can start to look a bit fatigued and, and look like they need a, a breather. On the flip side, I know this is slightly contradictory, but sometimes young players are full of beans and they just keep going, and, and that's, you know, that's the, the sort of the advantage they've got. I will say this about Arsenal. I do feel like, and I said this, I think, last time it was on, that there's a little bit more more of an air of positivity around Arsenal. Arsenal have always had this issue, I feel like. They're not a happy camp. There's, there's things going on. There's players that are unhappy, whether that's Meza Ozil or that's uh, Obama Yang or whoever. There's always someone who's a little bit sort of out of favour and not getting on with the manager or the fans are unhappy about something or they can't get a run together or there's question marks about whether Arteta is the right man for the job or whatever. But it does feel like there's a a real positiveness to, to Arsenal, or positivity, sorry, to Arsenal. The fact you've got young players and it is easier to get behind young players and they have got some, some quality young players, Arsenal, in the ones you mentioned, of course. And also, they've got, yes, they've got a couple of tough games. I think, the, is it the Chelsea one that's been postponed? They've got still got that to play. Yeah. Um, they've got, I think they've got Liverpool at, at home as well. But there's, there's a lot of winnable games there. Mm. You know, they've, they've got some, some, you know, the likes of Watford, Leicester at home, Wolves at home, I think, is a winnable, uh, winnable game, especially when you see what Arsenal did away. So there's, there's games there where you think, OK, I fancy Arsenal for that. So the fact that, as well, Arteta seems to, for, at the moment anyway, have dealt with the Alabama Young situation and not really been hurt by it. He said, OK, this guy don't want to be here, let's move him on. Let's trust these youngsters. I don't know, I just... I do worry about Arsenal from a United point of view because I do, I know we've said this before and it's all it says, but for me, it feels a little bit more like Arsenal have got their act together than in previous seasons. And that concerns me because I think that it wouldn't surprise me if Arsenal actually went on a bit of a run then now and got themselves right in the middle of that top four conversation ended up in the top four and it's a greater good argument as well like Jay and I have disagreed on things on podcasts over the last couple of seasons the Invincibles versus the 99 team bus parades up Deansgate Arsenal fans being embarrassing X, Y and Z but one thing that can unite everybody on both sides of the divide Piers Morgan cannot be right. I can't live in a world where he's right or, or even where he thinks he's right. So Arsenal have got to get it together. Aubameyang or no Aubameyang, I cannot live in a world where uh, where he thinks he's right. Right, we're going to move on to the final two games of the weekend. Rob, first game of the weekend, West Ham won, Newcastle won. 
bit of a sensation. We even said this on Monday's podcast last week with Jim, who is a West Ham fan, that there does seem to be a feeling that they're running out of gas. They didn't really strengthen in January when they probably should have done. Obviously, there's been off-pitch controversy in the last week or two. David Moyes doesn't really seem to know why they're not able to get it together. And I've put in the notes here that are they the new Leicester? Obviously, that's going back to the last couple of seasons where Leicester got pipped for the Champions League in the last week of the season by United. Would you agree with that with West Ham that they've shown so much this season, but right at the point where they need to be pushing on, they're actually going backwards and they're probably going to get wrestled out of it? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, running out of gas is the, is the right kind of way to look at this for West Ham. I think when you look at Antonio, what Antonio's done for this team both last season and at the start of this season, you know, he's been kind of driving force. When you look at his metrics, he's right up there with the best strikers in Europe. He really is. But what you've seen now in the last few weeks is that's fallen off dramatically. You know, big international duty uh, jaunts across the world. Um, he's obviously an ageing player himself. And it's about having alternatives isn't it and I think with West Ham the fact that they, they didn't really strengthen in those areas you've seen Jared Bowen's been sensational and continues to be a you know, brilliant player for them but you need more than that and you know you just talk about Arsenal they just want to chip in on that I think Arsenal are favourites for the top four over Manchester United not just because of the games in hand but I just think the structure of the squad shows that they can score lots of goals from other areas and, and there's no Europe three teams well. there United yeah of course you look at United Yes, yes, indeed. And you look at United, West Ham and Arsenal, three teams whose goals difference are all plus 10 and plus 11. So they're all very samey, aren't they? You know, some have scored more goals, some have conceded less. But I think with West Ham, it's, it's going to be a tough end to the season just simply because if Antonio isn't performing at the standard that he was 12 months ago it's going to be really difficult for them to win football matches with their striker scoring goals yeah um, we're going to move on to the final game of the weekend and Rob I'm going to steal what you've just said because you always say goal difference is a big giveaway and I think it's exactly true because you look at fourth fifth and sixth United plus 10 West Ham plus 10 and Arsenal plus 10 third place Chelsea have got plus 31 and then a little gap up then to Liverpool and Man City. Man City plus 46 and Liverpool plus 44. So, Jay, final game that we're going to cover, Crystal Palace nil, Chelsea won. Difficult one for Chelsea. They had to grit and grind to get this done. Hakim Ziyech popping up with a really, really late goal to make sure that they return to the Premier League and get a win. You'd look at the situation and say probably, although without an absolute definite, they're okay for top four. They've got a four-point lead on United with a game in hand. That goal difference that, that I've just mentioned there as well. And then Crystal Palace, 13th, 26 points on the board. Not exactly <clears throat> home and hosed in the relegation battle, but you'd imagine... Vieira's got enough in the tank already and that they'll probably get enough wins to, to get through. There's there's an argument to be made that if the season ended now, it wouldn't look any different than it would do at the end of May with Chelsea in third and Palace quite comfortable in mid-table. Yeah, I think it's been a bit of a problem for Palace, and it? Late goals, conceding late goals. I saw a few of their fans on social media saying this just keeps happening this season. And I think you sort of spoke about it earlier when you mentioned Roy Hodgson that Palace have got some good players. They're quite an exciting team to watch. Crystal Palace, if, whenever I've seen them anyway. They've got some good youngsters there that, you know, tend to cause all sorts of problems for the opposition. But yeah, Chelsea, I think Chelsea needed this win, to be honest with you, because despite the fact that you know, yes, they're in a, a, a cup final and, and they've they've had some good runs this season. It wasn't great of late. I think was this the this was in danger or this would have been the first time mm. if they didn't win. They'd, was it failed to win away from home in three or lost three if they'd have lost it, I think, on on a spin. So it's not been a great run of form for them. But that for me, yeah, that was a big win in terms of I don't I don't see Chelsea dropping out of the top four. At one point it looked like they might. I thought that actually they, they looked like they were struggling after that great start they'd had to the season. But that May just settle a few nerves there for Chelsea because they're looking good. They've got, you know, they played a game less than um, than United and, and, and West Ham as well. I know Arsenal have got a few games in hand on them, but yeah, Chelsea are looking quite quite good for the top four finish and I expect them to finish in the top four, to be honest with you. Especially you look at Tuchel and look at the players he's got at his disposal. I, I can't see him not, not doing, to be honest. Would you agree, Rob, Palace looking at the relegation picture, eight points off the bottom three and Chelsea looking with a bit of a cushion inside the top four that, as it stands, both of them probably will meet their objectives and probably not move too much between now and the end of the campaign? No, I don't think there will be too much movement. But I do, I'll do. i say this about Chelsea. For a team that had 
aspirations to win the title this year they've massively underperformed you know they've just been crowned champions of the world by FIFA the best club you know on the planet but I actually think when you see what Tuchel's done this season and obviously I think the failure of Lukaku this Chelsea team just hasn't really met them the, the, the real expectations of what you thought they would do again just looking at metrics Chelsea won 14 games this year Manchester United won 13 so there's not a huge difference it's just that those kind of extra goals of have helped Chelsea at the start of the season I still think that they are in a little bit of a scrap to keep their top four status even though you know the table would show now that they they are comfortable you know funnier things have happened but I think also talking about Crystal Palace Patrick Vieira has done has done an an outstanding job at that club they are one of the most attractive teams to watch in the Premier League playing 4-3-3 and playing a progressive style that we certainly did not see Roy Hodgson play so I know quite a few Crystal Palace fans and uh, they're very very happy of how their team has performed this season yeah oh, I just I just think it's been such a massive weekend in the Premier League that I think it's kind of taken up picked up the snow globe and just given it a bit of a shake Liverpool back in the title race top four races back on and down the bottom we've got ourselves a few changes right we're going to call it there for tonight's show the guys will be back tomorrow reviewing Wolves's 2-1 win over Leicester and also building up to midweek Premier League action and yet more Champions League games Manchester United go to Atletico Madrid and Chelsea as Rob said newly crowned world champions Chelsea take on Lille but for tonight we're going to call it a day Rob Jay as always thanks so much for your time and anytime especially after United beat Leeds just ring me I'll come on anytime after that not an issue <laughs> Cheers, mate. No worries at all, guys. And obviously, we know the drill by now. Hit subscribe on this episode of the podcast, and you can get a brand new show as soon as it is ready every day between now and the end of what is shaping up to be a brilliant end to the Premier League season. We will be here with a daily Premier League podcast. Don't forget to check us out tomorrow, and we'll speak to you again very, very soon. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.